pretty cool intro music. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome uh, to Cryptic Cocktail Party, a show where we have a few drinks, share a few laughs, and take a dive into the unknown. Today, I'm joined by Mike Waddell, creator and CEO of MetaZoo. How you doing, man? Not bad. Thank you for having me. I apologize for uh, missing our scheduled meeting yesterday, but I'm glad that we could do this uh, yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, not a problem, man. I do. I almost had a panic attack because I was like, I didn't, I didn't have a backup episode planned. So like, I was like, I was like scrambling, and then uh, you guys got back to me and said, "Oh, tomorrow's fine." I was like, "Oh," like <laughs> I thought I was gonna die. But uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm uh in the middle of writing my third letter to the community, um, going over the, the scripts for the, um, animated shorts Hell yeah, um, and then selecting which parts of it we need to do like concept art for, um, we're putting together the solicitation, um, posts for the voice acting. Awesome. Um, so yeah. And then of course I'll, I'll spend the, the rest of the day just, uh, writing. Well, it's awesome, man. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> that kind of brings me to my first thing. So, for people listening, what what is MetaZoo? Yeah, sure. So, uh, MetaZoo is a. It started off as just a, a trading card game um, uh, about cryptids, right? So, Mothman, Bigfoot, Hodag, um, really focused on um, North American, but more specifically, you know, um, U.S. based cryptids, mm. and um, it was a kind of a, a project that I started in the, the middle of COVID really actually at the beginning of COVID. I think the, I made the Instagram in May of 2020 Yeah, and um, it just kind of, it took off. We did a Kickstarter in August um, 2020 and um, you know, raised $18,000, which in retrospect was really nothing. <laughs> and um, you know, it, it was, we did how Halloween set. We did a, uh, a a Christmas set. I thought it was just gonna be like this cool little hobby thing, right? And I was actually I was about to accept. Um, I, I was doing like um, I was doing work for various banks, and then I was I was about to accept a position. It was either between like Johnson and Johnson or uh, Goldman Sachs. Uh, going you know going back to Goldman Sachs as a VP. Um, but then March came 2021 and, um, it really blew up. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm gonna do this full time. Um, and so for those cryptid lovers out there, you know, this is really the, the first TCG that's, um, focused primarily on cryptids and it's turning more into a trading more into more than just a trading card game. It's, it's, we have a book that's being released. We have animated shorts that will, that will lead into an animated series, um, and it's just one of those things where it's like, why has no one ever done this before? I think this is for the crypto community. This, this is like, this is the lightning rod, right? Yeah. Um, they exist in all these kind of isolated communities throughout the U S you know, tens of millions of fans. Um, there's never been a single thing that's like been a rallying call for them. I think MetaZoo's that. I think you just answered like literally every single question I had written down in that one. I will right, we'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun. Um, I've enjoyed it. So, yeah, no, it was yeah. great. Uh, no, but uh, so what, what made you decide to choose cryptids? Like, was that like uh, something you grew up with, like as a kid? I know, I know I've watched like a bunch of interviews with you trying to like get to know you as a person before you came on. I know you that you grew up in Brazil from like 17 to or seven to 18 or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. So like were cryptids like, 
big for you? I know you weren't in America to like live in a place where they might be, but I'm sure Brazil has their own. So what was what was the the idea behind doing cryptids? Like, did you love? So them? yeah, Brazil. Brazil has you know, it's a very Catholic country, but it's also a country that saw a lot of mixing with um, the indigenous population, mm. and so we had this religion, um, religion slash culture called Candomblé, which is kind of this. Um, he had these the idea of of worshiping kind of um, these local deities in the same way that in Catholicism you you worship saints, right? Yeah. Um, and so you have like a bunch of these creatures and, and spirits, and it's actually almost more reminiscent to to what you see with like forest gods, mountain gods, river gods, and in, in like Japan, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that are part of that yokai um, subculture, and so you know cryptids are are different. My, my you know, obviously I knew what Bigfoot was growing up. I knew what, you know, Chupacabra was, but really my first encounter was, was Mothman prophecies that came out in like 2003, 2004. Right, who doesn't love a good Richard Gere movie? Yeah. It's a very good looking <laughs> dude. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, it just, it scared the ever living crap out of me. Right. Cause I grew up Catholic, but it was like, it was the first time. Cause I looked it up. I, you know, the, the internet back then was kind of crummy, but I was able to look up, you know, that it was, it was actually a, a, a true story. And so for me, it was, it was this weird thing where it was like, all right, this isn't like heaven or hell. Um, it's not even a ghost. It's not really an alien. It's like some sort of interdimensional thing. Right. Yeah. And it, and, and I didn't know it at the time cause I, I wasn't familiar with the literature, but um, it was almost like the fear that I felt trying to contemplate that was like the the fear that you get when you think about kind of like Cthulhu or the other Lovecraftian kind of yeah. like it's like an exist it's like an existential dread kind of thing yeah it's like what the hell like, I don't even know how to process this thing right yeah that's why I, that's why I don't go into open water I, anything that I can't see or understand I don't want to be near <laughs> there you go yeah you know one out of five people who swim end up you know disappearing right so um <laughs> hold on is that a true statistic <laughs> It's more like half, but you know, uh, we just forget about we we forget about the people that disappear. So you know, yeah, it, it's enough. yeah, um, no, yeah. So like, it stuck with me. It stuck with me in my head. And so when I was, uh, you know, like 2018, I uh, I left my my banking job and uh, attended, um, you know, grad school for my PhD. And you know, one of my pastimes was was really just like. Um, collecting Pokemon, collecting magic, um, buying old collections. Um, and like, you know, I, I started getting obsessed with it, but I, I was obsessed with like vintage Pokemon. And I was obsessed with, um, kind of the fringe forgotten about products like the Meiji, <laughs> uh, chocolate, you know, I had like yeah. 50 boxes of the Meiji, like Pokemon chocolate that had like these really cool holographic cards in them that no one really knows about right you know yeah. and then of course i bought like dozens of uh of watsi era um japanese boxes as well as 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 english boxes right um and back then like you could get a, a base set um pokemon box for like 2500 bucks and, and yeah. i was able to buy i was able to buy a um uh, an unlimited team rocket um that had a rip in the seal for 800 bucks so like I accumulated all these things and, and I started deconstructing what, you know, based on my, my experience um, in investment banking and, and um, 
that kind of stuff, I, I was like, I was super interested in it from a product perspective. And I was like, yeah. I'd love to be able to do this myself. Like it, it sucks that like, especially with vintage stuff like that, I feel like that magic is lost. Um, the, the, the feeling of being a part of something that's new and growing and, and getting in on the ground floor and, and, and kind of growing up with it. Right. So I was like, I want to make my own card game. And, um, so really it started in 2018 in earnest. Right. Um, I started getting those inklings about doing something like that in 2016, but it really never, it didn't take form until I had enough time to kind of like do this in my off time. Well, that was the one thing I loved about MetaZoo too, is that I, I only found it because I was doing research for this show uh, about the Flatwoods Monster. And yeah. it was right around the time when UFO had either just released or was like halfway through between UFO and Seance. And I immediately fell in love with it. Um, but it was awesome because I like the fact that it is like a, it's a new, it's a newer TCG, I guess, like physical products have only been around since what 2021 21 yeah so it's yeah. cool to be like kind of at the beginning every card you're get, i'm getting right now is first edition uh but i did like that you redid cryptid nation base set mm-hmm. for the second edition because when you're like a collector or even if you're trying to play like i feel like those cards are essential and trying to buy a booster box for i guess what are they going for now something ridiculous like i couldn't afford that but i can afford the second edition yeah yes and and that'll change right like you know eventually second edition will will run dry and it's it's you know people it it, we're in that weird stage where like people look at at first edition that came out in like geez um when the first it, it came out in like um beginning of 2022 right yeah um like second edition did um and it's like people look at that and they're like oh like it's it's becoming a vintage product it's like it's a year old right <laughs> and, and so you know, people lack this perspective people lack perspective even with pokemon where pokemon existed for three years so longer than metazoo has been around in japan before it came to the u.s yeah. right um and you know they, they they it's kind of like that 24-hour news cycle thing where um everything goes really fast and like you know, MetaZoo started the Kickstarter era, but now the Kickstarter era is done with, right? And and it's like, and all these things have happened. And it's like, it's been two years. Like, we're not even in that third year where we kind of really go global. You know, we're pre-IP. The book hasn't come out. The show hasn't come out. The video game hasn't come out. But it's all coming out this year. And so, like, we're right at that point where we're going to hit critical mass. Um, and, you know, if you want to compare it to Pokemon, it's like we're in that Watsi era in Japan where you know, they've released the first few sets. Um, and, you know, people are, are viewing kind of that release within the context of the current fandom, not what the fandom will be like 10 years from now. So it's interesting. Like, and, and, and you know this probably better than most MetaZoo fans. The cryptid community is huge. Yeah. And it's ravenous, right? Um, and so, you know, the other thing that we really haven't tapped into, and I think your testament to that you only found this stuff you know midway between ufo and seance um the cryptid community really isn't um aware of metazoo yet yeah and 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 you know things like the water tower being at loveland um festival and and you know doing the hodag stuff and flatwoods and going to all these different festivals and holding metazoo events there 
um, and showing them the power of the community and, and kind of inviting them in. Um, that's the start of that. And that happens this year as well. I don't, I don't even know why I wrote these questions down again, because <laughs> <laughs> you just answered again. I was going to say, did you, like, you guys have been hitting the, the cryptid circuit, like the festival circuit pretty hard. Even in the beginning, you were doing Mothman festival and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, you just did the water tower at Loveland, which was the inaugural Loveland festival. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, do, do you find that going to these cryptid fests, like they get Mothman coming up, stuff like that, that cryptid fans like are kind of gravitating towards MetaZoo? Like it's interesting, right? Because, and this is going to sound like a convoluted answer, but <laughs> when we go to these festivals, they're filled with other creatives who are who are starting their own businesses, right? Yeah, um, and and they want a part of that cryptid pie, so to speak. Um, I think the vast majority of um, cryptid fans aren't really activated yet in the sense that like they might, they might be a fan of uh, watching a discovery channel thing on like a local cryptid. They might be a fan of supernatural and watching the Wendigo episode yeah. might even like files. Right. Um, and, but they're not going to conventions necessarily to um, discover to a new trading card game discover, like new things or, or buy like snally you know uh snally whiskey right See, like they're, they're not they're like, there for the wrong reasons then because <laughs> i would i would only go like i would love to go to mothman fest i would love to go to all these but the only reason why i'd go is for like the vendors like the art like i already know like oh. people that go to those festivals already know the history and the lore mostly of sure. the cryptid they're going to so to me it's more like a like a state fair or something like that you go you check out the vendors the food what's new, what's not. Yeah. And I think that, but I think that's only like 5% of the, the crypto community. I think the other 95% are passive fans. And I think they're passive fans because they haven't been given something legitimate, legitimately big and, and cohesive and um, inviting to kind of latch onto and become a part of. Right. And I think that MetaZoo could be that larger cultural movement where you do have that, uh, kid that's watching the Bigfoot special um, want to go out and buy a Bigfoot c- trading card, right? Yeah. And that's because, you know, a MetaZoo, you know, that particular Bigfoot show is sponsored by MetaZoo, right? And so um, we, we, we've seen adoption from a lot of cryptid fans um, among the vendors who are in many ways actually kind of competing with MetaZoo, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, but because you don't have ma- critical mass of of kind of those more passive cryptid fans attending these festivals um, because they're more passive fans than active ones um it we're we are still by and large unknown to the cryptid community which is interesting to think about yeah that's why i wonder how many people discovered metazoo the same way i did like trying to find information about a cryptid and then just like stumbled upon because like flatwoods monster is my favorite cryptid alien story just because it's so fucking like wild and out there like i wonder how many people like looked up like i don't know like the enfield monster and just like came across like the enfield monster card yeah and 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 we're in this weird position where you know um for a lot of these cryptids we are really the first um way of like representing them that's not just like some fan art that someone posted on like the blo- <laughs> or, or, or like dvr or, like, or something yeah. like that yeah, and, 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 or, you know, what the original reports were in a, in a magazine or, or a newspaper from, like, 1930, right? Well, that's what, that's what blew my mind. It blew my mind that, like, 
the squonk in MetaZoo like blew up, dude. You got like Pocket Squonk. You got like like it was like a huge fan favorite, but like that's like something that was written about like one time in a yep. random book somewhere, like a folklore book, and like it just blew up. Yep, and and that's that's one of those weird things about fandom, right? Like you never know what what people are going to latch onto, right? Um, and you could have you can have an idea of what will be popular. Like I knew Mothman was going to be popular, right? Yeah. Um, based on pre-existing fandom um, in the cryptic, cryptid community, like uh, before MetaZoo, right? But, you know, then people latch on to things that you never really expect. Um, and you, you, you can try and engineer it, but it's almost better to let it go on its own. Yeah. Because um, then you get surprises like that, right? And, um, and it's kind of magical, too, because, like, like you said, the squonk was written as a, you know, fearsome critter lumberjack thing and, like, a book published in 1911 right yeah. and it's like and then all of a sudden you know that part of american folklore history because that's what it is um is now it, it'll never be forgotten right Where, whereas before um it a lot of these things are at risk especially some of the more esoteric or, or lesser known ones um are at risk of, of disappearing forever right yeah um from the cultural uh eye um, like those books will always be there, but like, who's looking no one, for them? Yeah, no one gave a shit about Squonk before MetaZoo. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and and so we can we can kind of do that. And then and then what comes with that, especially with local cryptids, is um, you know we have more and more festivals popping up. And when I talk to these organizers, like you know the they're like, yeah, well, hey, uh, we we know that there are a lot of MetaZoo fans that will come out to these things and. Um, so we're going to put on a festival and, and we're going to celebrate it, you know, in, in five years, if you asked them to do that, they would have been like, we have no idea if anyone's going to show up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, uh, actually, I think this year is the inaugural, uh, Squonkapalooza. Yeah. In, yep. uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania. And I'm, I'm doing my dandest to get a table there so I can do like a, like a live podcast from it or something like that. But yeah, I, I do love these. I, I love the fact that MetaZoo, it, it focuses on like the heavy hitters. You got Bigfoot chupacabra mothman all that stuff but you do go into like some of the more weirder lesser known cryptids which are what i want to focus this show on is like mostly like the basically the one-off sightings kind of deals like the enfield monster stuff like that when you were doing research like when you came up with the idea to do metazoo as a cryptid base like how many of these did you already know and how many did you have to like really dive deep into finding some of these Oh my gosh. It was, it was months and months of research. I remember, I remember my partner at the time getting really pissed off because we went to uh, sleepy hollow and for, for Halloween in 2019. Yeah. So we were there sleepy hollow 2019, you know, she was getting dressed up as, as um, I think it was like Marilyn Monroe or something. And I was on the, <laughs> on the, on the uh, bed and I was like creating a spreadsheet of hundreds of cryptids <laughs> and and like wiki references to them like newspaper references to them yeah mag like you know um you sound like me doing re research for the show <laughs> it is so fun and, and then and then you realize like just by like like one, one of the things that i notice with a lot of like uh, trading card games or just ips that have to come out with new generations of things yeah. is the character designs become very stagnant or they become um, like very derivative of each other or, or yeah. they just go 
they go crazy, right? And then like the, the simple elements of character design that worked and made something memorable or iconic, uh, you move away from that because like you have to, how do you add, how do you differentiate? Well, you just add more shit to a base yeah, design. It's like, it's like Digimon. They have like that cool robot dinosaur looking thing. And then they also have like, just like an ice cream cone. Yeah. Like- <laughs> or if you look, if you look at, at base set Pokemon, it's like Blastoise is a turtle. Uh, Charizard is an orange lizard dragon. Mm. And uh, Venusaur is a, is a frog with a, a, a plant on its back. Right. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and then no. now you look, you look at the current ones and it's like, what, what the fuck am I looking at? Um, and, and so what I noticed as I was going through this, it was like, it was like, a, it was, it was kind of magical. Cause I was like, these things are like, just by serendipity, by that, these, uh, these occurrences happening kind of in their own bubbles um, over decades. Right. They all looked with the exception of the, of the goddamn uh, Sasquatches, they yeah. all looked different, right? Like, and they're all super interesting. I mean, like the the if you look at something like the Van Meter Visitor, all right, yeah, it's like a little dragon thing with a like uh, pterodactyl with a horn and a light, and and yeah, it shoots a laser out of its head. Yeah. That's pretty cool, and that's fundamentally different than you know um, Mothman. Mothman's a big ass moth thing, right? And it's like, and that's fundamentally different than like the the uh, Speed Demon, which is like a circle with like feet, like legs around it that yeah. rolls around or a bait robber, which is like literally a, a crab with like a key and a lock for, for, um, um, claws in it. And like it picks locks and it's like, what the, what the hell? Like <laughs> if you, if you, you put like a bunch of creative people in a room. They'd never and, come up with. Yeah. And it's thousands of them. It's thousands of them. And, and I, and I, you know, when I initially started doing this research, I'm like, Oh, it's gonna it's gonna be rough because um, most of the famous ones are just variations on Sasquatch because Sasquatch yeah. is by far the most popular one. So you it got, makes you sense. Got, you got Bigfoot, you got Skunk Ape. Yeah, it's they're, all, got, they're basically all the same. But then you got yeah, but, but then you got like Bat Squatch though. Come on, yeah, Bat Squatch is is pretty cool, right? You know, and so you and so, but like, but people want their own local version of a very popular legend because it makes it'll make people famous. Um, and, and also, you know, you could say, well, maybe they're they're accustomed to viewing something strange in a way that um, that they've already kind of like seen before, right? So if they've seen Bigfoot, Bigfoot, Big, Bigfoot, Bigfoot, they're not going to get creative when they see something unknown that's shaped like a man. They're going to be like, yeah, it's another Bigfoot, but it has like green hair, as opposed <laughs> to like coming up with something unique, right? Um, but luckily, when at the farther the further you go back in time. Um, before, you know, Bigfoot dominated kind of the zeitgeist when it comes to sightings, right? Um, you had just a bunch of these like weird siloed stories and all these like really niche esoteric um, cryptids all look different from a design perspective. And so, you know, again, back in, in Sleepy Hollow, um, I was I got in trouble because I spent the entire weekend just like, <laughs> um, like literally just, researching this thing and then and it turned into an obsession right yeah um and i knew that i was going to do cryptids before that but that was really the first weekend that it turned into an obsession for me and i created the first it wasn't just cryptids right it was it was it was um spells and artifacts and things like that i created a set list of several hundred cards that ended up being 
the vast majority of the first three sets. Yeah, cryptids will do that to you, man. Like once you start diving into it, like it gets a little intense. And and, and people don't like. And people like some of the earliest questions that I got was like, "You're not going to have enough cryptids for more than three sets." And it's like you have no idea. You have no idea. Like Dude. like this is centuries of of folklore that's untapped um, that people don't know about, right? And it's like I, I almost view it as like when um remember like so you know the grim brothers like um storybooks right yeah yeah uh, and and the reason they did that is because you had a bunch of prince uh, prussian principalities like dozens of them um and they all had kind of like these little siloed urban legends and stories and myths and fairy tales and and, and the grim brothers were like let's go around and collect these things like history changes these stories are, are being lost and they resurface and sometimes they disappear forever so let's go around and, and collect them right yeah um and i think it may have been an edict or it may have been directed by some government but i'm not sure right but um <laughs> but, but 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 like but this is very similar it's like yeah. no one really with, with a very few exceptions no one's gone around and created um now there are some excellent resources online. I don't want to belittle those, right? Yeah. But no one, no one's gone to the, to, I think, to the extent that MetaZoo has to collect these things, put them under one single umbrella, and be like, "This is American folklore." Yeah. Um, and you know, by the time that we finish bl the block, Cryptid Nation, we move on to Yokai Island, um, and we have two more sets. Well, th really, yeah, two, three more spots. Well, Two more sets, right? We have <laughs> yeah, no three more sets. We have Native uh, War, yeah, and then SCP. But I would say War is a rehash of everything else. Native and the SCP is like based on the SCP stuff, right? Um, and then so Native is really the last time that you're going to see new uh, cryptids introduced. Yeah, um, and, and but that'll be so. We've had base set, we've had Nightfall, uh, Wilderness. UFO, Seance, and, and Native, that's six sets um, and hundreds of cryptids that have been covered. Um, so, you know, and, it, and, it's, and it's primarily 99% of these cryptids are, are American cryptids. No, I, lo I love the fact that you're, you feel that way about <clears throat> cryptids, saying that it is American folklore and that a lot of these that you've that you have in the set they you are bringing them to light to people that would never have heard of them like people might have gotten it as because of mothman bigfoot chupacabra but now they're finding out all these other things and it's good that these stories are being told and that's actually why like i kind of promote my podcast more to the metazoo community than so the cryptid community because i feel like a lot of these cryptids are they love playing them they love but they might not know the story behind them i'm sure you're you're right. you're fucking uh, social media team must hate me because I tag you guys in almost every single fucking post, even if it has. Oh, love it! Please do. But like, it's just like if you're as passionate about cryptids as I am, and if you're playing a game based off cryptids, you should probably know the story and the lore behind them. And I love that you're saying that you that you're trying to put them all together and bring together a community so that these things don't get lost in time. Because I feel like some of them do. Like I'm from New Hampshire, and I'm gonna be completely honest with you. The Woods Devil, I had never even heard of the Woods Devil in New Hampshire well, <laughs> until I found the card in MetaZoo, which is wild. Do you think I would know about it? Yeah, well, I mean, and, and, and so it, it's almost like how do you uh, 
it's knowing your own history, right? Like, yeah, because I, uh, I never knew that. I never even would have known that the was devil existed. Yeah, and 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 I still find like new things every because I'm you know writing the books and stuff. I'm like, um, we're in this region of the U.S. Like, let me look up like what's in here, and it's like, God damn it, that would have been that would have made a really good card. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I, and I made note of them because we're gonna we're gonna eventually go back and 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 create you know new sets. Um, that touch on cryptid nation and yokai island and grim's kingdom and all these things right yeah um but you know it's it's a delicate process because um you're gonna have a lot of cryptid enthusiasts who are what i would call purists yeah and they're like they're like the van meter um or the flatwoods story is the flatwoods story we don't want it represented as part of some larger um story that's an amalgamation of, of all of these cryptid stories. And it's like, I understand. Um, like, but bear in mind that the card, uh, the place of the Flatwoods monster in the story, um, the way that we represent him or her rather, um, is, is 80% accurate. And then we, we change it. But, but if you look at any sort of folklore sto- like story that, that takes from a story and tries to put it into a larger piece into a larger like universe, you have to do that. You have to make the pieces fit. MetaZoo has a pretty deep lore behind it. And in in the end, the lore of MetaZoo is a fictional story. So, I mean, you got to give a little leeway for yeah. what the cards are. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's all well-intentioned, right? Like, we're not appropriating these histories. We are... Um, we are adding them to a larger collective to enhance them so that they are, you know, greater than the sum of their total, right? Yeah. Of their individual parts. Um, and giving them a spotlight where, again, they they haven't had that opportunity. And so, you know, it, it's kind of like, again, looking at Lord of the Rings, when he revitalized certain parts of, of dying um, kind of parts of, of European mythos or, or folklore, um, and he... Like his representation of elves was not the the only de facto representation of elves. He took yeah. a representation, uh, as described as he's like you know lithe, beautiful, fair skinned, long haired, uh, pointy eared creatures that lived forever, um, and you know were at their hearts peaceful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and he put them in the story, and then of course molded that clay to the the shape of the story in a way that made sense but they were still identifiably elves right yeah um and no one and and kind of like with metazoo becoming the de facto representation of a lot of these more niche cryptids uh when a lot of people think of elves even when they're in the in creation mode they don't reference the earliest stories of elves they reference tolkien's elves yeah. right um and so metazoo if 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 and when the the the, the lore aspect the books go viral and, and they they spread and whatnot, like Metazoo's version of Mothman will be maybe the de facto idea of Mothman when people think about Mothman, right? Yeah, we have the most consistent representation of Mothman. Uh, his role in our story is is what it is. Um, but then what's really cool is if you want to do, if you want to dive deeper into the, the basis of that lore, like there, there are like millions of sources on it. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't view it as appropriation. I view it as a starting point for a real fan. 
it's like a jumping off point for people who want to learn more about not in, not just the lore of MetaZoo, but also for like the lore of the actual cryptid that is being represented. Exactly. Yeah. And and if you look at like I think the the one of the, the few original ideas that um Tolkien had was like the Urukai, right? Which is like a mixture of of elf with like corrupted man or whatever, yeah. right? It was like but then like elves, orcs, goblins, dragons, dwarves, um, you know, and then of course hobbits, but the idea of little people were like were well known by them, right? Yeah. Um and, and so, you know, mixing existing lore or existing folklore with some completely original elements, like the underlying story from Metazoo is like it, it it's again it's enhancing it's not taking away no i yeah i i agree with that so god damn you're answering all my questions before i can ask <laughs> i did want to shut up no that's fine I, I just i wanted to know like so when you were doing research on cryptids and and figuring out like the cards and you know all that stuff like how did you choose which ones you're going to do and which ones you're going to put to the side yeah so it's it's an interesting process um and it's it's hard right because so like originally the the cryptid nation was supposed to be one set and then the second set was supposed to be yokai island and then the third set was supposed to be grim's kingdom but it became such a there's so many cryptids and so many things that i wanted to do i was like I, like this has to be a whole block of sets right yeah um uh, and but then you're like all right well what do i put in the first set um to make it appealing enough um, so that people want more sets, but then how do you leave enough out so that you can seed the cool things into the new sets? Yeah. Um, such that the follow up to the really cool first set is still really cool, right? Yeah. Um, and like worthwhile. And so, you know, for the base set, I, you know, so there are a few ways that you can do that, right? For the base set, you obviously choose a bunch of really cool ones. You got, um, yeah, you got you got the heavy hitters right up. Not all of them, yeah, but you got to get the good ones right in there. And then and then you rehash some of those heavy hitters and following sets that are like thematic to them, right? So you have you have a uh, Mothman show up in Nightfall. You have Flatwoods Monster show up in UFO, even though they showed up in the base set, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, same with Piazza Bird and Native and and all these things, right? And so. Um, and then I was like, okay, so like, how do you define a heavy hitter um, in MetaZoo? Do you base it off of what's popular now? If you do that, the entire sets can be Sasquatches, right? Um, or I can look at them and I can say Piazza Bird is a, uh, a chimera dragon type thing that breathes fire. And, you know, that's pretty cool. And, and that could probably, we could probably make it look similar to a fire breathing dragon. Um, that's, you know, and then say like, oh, well, you know, that's kind of like, Hey, that's a very Charizard looking card. And then you can look at Mothman and you say, that's very, very different looking than Piazza bird, but it's just as cool. Right. Um, and so color, shape, size, um, lore, these are all like degrees of freedom and design where I'm like, I want, I want, uh, to be able to say, Hey, um, Every aura has a cryptid that looks different, um, kind of has, you know, a, a unique element to it. That's like, if, again, if you look at Blastoise, Charizard and Venusaur, yeah. they, they're all lizards, right? But they all kind of, they look sufficiently different and, and one's 
orange, one's uh, green, and one's blue, right? Or one's red, blue, green, right? Um, and so I, I took cues from that too, where I say, even now to my artists, I'm like, um, the auras and their color scheme have to be sufficiently different from every other aura. Like if you look at a lot of TCGs nowadays, they have different t categories of, of creatures or whatever, but from a color scheme and design perspective, it's hard to differentiate them. Yeah. Um, you can't like, you know, and, and magic used to do this really well where it was easy to tell without the border, uh, a light card, a white card from a blue card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nowadays, less so easy, I think. Right. And I would say with Pokemon, it's very difficult if you take away the border nowadays to determine whether or not, if you don't know the Pokemon. Yeah. They're, they're all over the place. Yeah. And so, and so for me, like my, my litmus test to, to determine whether or not, um, an art does justice to the aura that it's in is if I, if I take away the border, can I still identify what aura it's from? Right. Um, and so, yeah, again, it's that balance between, um, having the designs be sufficiently different. So we're not looking at just a bunch of Sasquatches. Um, and then of course, but then, but then, you know, to, but then it's hard, right? Cause you, you choose quote unquote heavy hitters and people are like, how dare you, you know, choose what's going to be popular. You don't know what's going to be popular. It's like, yeah. But then like, of course we have to do that. Cause we have to determine like what cards are going to be rare. So we have to assume that like some of these cards will be more popular than others. Like, um, like you have to, you, it's the same process with kind of selecting a mascot for a set. It's like, I thought that Sinkhole Sam would be really popular because he looks dope as hell and, and everybody hates him. Um, I had no idea that Squawk would be popular and, and everybody, you know, I thought that he was just like one of the grossest, fearsome critters. Um, yeah. But people love him. Well, he's the, most, I, he's, I, he's the most relatable cryptid if you really think about it. Oh, yeah, I know, for sure. You know? Every time I, every time my phone screen goes black, I'm like, there you go, Squawk. Yeah. Um, it's like that, it's like that, it's like that Netflix meme where it's like, yeah, <laughs> it asks if you're still watching. You catch your reflection like that. That is the squonk in all of us, right there. Yeah, you know. But but then I knew like Loveland Frogman would be semi popular. I thought Beast of Busco would be a bit more popular, but you know, you no know, one you know likes him. The 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 Loveland Frogman though, like depicted as described in the actual lore of it, I don't think it would be as popular as it is now. Right. I mean, yeah. The, the image that you find when you look up. You know, Loveland Frogman is literally a, a, a JPEG of a frog on a bridge upright with a staff in its hand. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Like, it's all, all around yeah. bad. Yeah, so with that one, I'm like, okay, so it has a staff that's supposedly shot off sparks. So I told Kelsey, make it a wizard frog. She's like, say less. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you have things like Cumberland Dragon where, you know, it's a – like I was like, man, like why aren't there more dragons in the U.S., right? They're actually quite a few, but like this one, like the Cumberland dragon was described as a, a furry, uh, it was described as an iguana type uh, lizard with like white hair. Right. I was like, okay, kind of gross. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I told Victor who, who did the original art, I'm like in the design, I'm like, make it kind of like um, a more foresty version of, of, you know, a, a dragon. Right. Yeah. Um, but like, but like a kind dragon, like one that with softer features, right? Um, he was like, all right, cool. And then he came up with the Cumberland dragon thing. And so um, with some of these lesser known ones, it's like we, we had the ability to dictate 
kind of the cultural image of 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 what that cryptid will look like. Yeah. And now, if you look up, you know, Loveland Frogman images, and there's fan art. Even if it's not in any way associated with MetaZoo, they, it mostly comes up as like a wizard frog, right? Obviously, we will never be able to supplant the existing cultural representation of Bigfoot. But I think with Mothman, if we get big enough, you know, certainly um, our representation of Mothman is similar enough to the old representations. And yeah, it's, um, it's close enough that I know what it is. You know, yeah. if I if I had seen your representation of Mothman and not known anything about Metazoo, but oh, it's, that's that's a Mothman. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. So, um, and, and and kind of like there's a benefit to that. And then there's a, a bad aspect to that the benefit of it is, you know, it is easier to bring in Mothman fans in the meta zoo because they can identify Mothman as, as being Mothman. And the flip side of that is because it's so similar. It's, it's not, it may not be uniquely meta zoo enough um, to stand on its own um, where someone views it and says, okay, that's Mothman, but they don't instantly recognize it as meta zoo's Mothman. Yeah. So, you know, it's, in, you know, in, in business, you know, one hundred and one, you you learn about there. There's a benefit to being like uh, so ubiquitous that, um, like, when people say tissue, um, they think about something that a, a piece of paper that you used to blow your nose with. But tissue is actually a brand name, yeah. right? It's like band aid, um, like band aid, yeah. And and so the brand name is so attached to the underlying object that it actually replaces the word that's used in, in daily vernacular. Uh, but there, and which is awesome. Yeah. And the, the bad, the flip side of that, the bad side of that, of course, is um, no one knows that it's a brand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting. Right. Um, and, and, and dealing with public domain creatures like this, it's like, it's impossible to, to kind of get away with that unless you know you're dealing with lesser known cryptids but then you're dealing with lesser known cryptids with a less pre-established fan base can i just say how smart it was to go uh public domain cryptids for like like that is hands down like as a business and also like just like financial decision to go (laughs) like brilliant i applaud you for it. it it was um it was a battle for a long time and like 2018 2019 i was like i want to be able to say that i'm creative enough to come up with my own ip but like why would anyone ever care yeah um and then i you know i started doing some research and really um it started off with just looking at public domain characters in general um and and then it turned, and then I found kind of a, a yokai that was listed. I think it was Basan, which is like a fire breathing chicken. Um, and some of the the earliest uh, cards that I made at home, it wasn't Mothman, it was this fire breathing chicken. Um, and, and then I was like, all right, so I got into the yokai hole. And then I was like, well, yokai are really no different than uh, like Bigfoot, right? And so I looked yeah. at like what bigfoot fell under and i was like all right cryptozoology and then that's how that cascade happened and i was like it makes sense um it's a lot less arrogant for me to assume that i can create this ip <laughs> i mean i think metazoo wouldn't exist in the tcg kickstarter era wouldn't have existed had i assumed that i could create this ip 
without tapping into a pre-existing fandom, right? Which is just, um, that's a smart, smart idea. It took a, you know, it took a, a kind of, it was a shot to the ego to be like, I really want to be the the creator of something original, um, but I'll take the ability to create um, an original collection of them, right? Yeah. A representation of them. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I was able to kind of swallow my ego on that because otherwise, you know, it would still just be a few posts on Reddit, you know, talking about the cool game of blobs that I wanted to create or some shit like that. Do you take into consideration like the lore of the creatures when deciding like it's attacks, it's health damage, like that sort of stuff? Like when you're, when you're creating the cards? Yes. Um, in fact, it's, it's like our mantra in uh, R and D where it's like, I have to like beat it into them. Right. Cause they're, they're like, it, we, we were not game pieces. Like we're not, uh, even like chess as, as like game pieces, their moves and their mobility across the board, um, reflects kind of the power of the underlying, um, royal, like royalty status of the, of the, of the, um, of the pieces, right. Of the characters. Yeah. So like a King, you know, a queen can, can like a pawn can only move forward one. It can only attack diagonally, uh, a horse can do the L shape jump. Um, it can, and it can jump over, uh, pieces. Um, yeah. And King kind of like, it can only move in, in a certain way. Cause like, you know, it, it's, it's in like the Rook and the, in the, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Right. But then you look at like checkers and it's like every piece is the same, right. Unless you get to the side and you can, you, you can queen it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my, my mantra is like, we're not checkers. Like these, these creatures exist in the world, you know, for a lot of people. And so their abilities should reflect, um, kind of the, the lore in, in, in an important way. Right. So Mothman literally has a prophecy based move that's associated with it. Um, and like beast of Busco, like it has kind of like a hungry hippos thing associated with it. And, and that ties into the, the fourth wall effects of MetaZoo really well, where it's like, the, the real world impacts the cards because these cards exist in the real world. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and vice versa, the cards impact, you know, like it's, it's, it's meant to be a story that we're telling and, you know, that gets lost in translation sometimes in R and D and play testing where we have a certain goal for a set and the pieces all have to have synergy with each other and they have to have synergy with other sets. And sometimes it's easier just to have like a card, that um has a certain function that is needed but then it's like all right we, we have that's like the baseline functionality of the card um now we have to add a little bit extra like yeah yeah and so we're we're almost like we have doubled the task of, of a lot of other tcgs where um and, and, you know you look at like pokemon cards and, and they'll have like uh beedrill and beedrill will have an attack like horn drill um and Makes then, sense. then they'll have yeah but then they'll have like an, another attack that is clearly just a game function that's meant to um be associated or drive the meta in a certain way yeah like tackle or something you, like that like just yeah and then you have like you know but then you also have some even some pokemon cards where like um a meowth for instance will have like a payday related move that has some sort of like that move um, 
and its function in the game actually reflects the fact that you're dealing with this cat that has um, coins associated with it, yeah. right? Um, that's like really, really base level though. Like we go above and beyond with, with some of these MetaZoo character cards where it's like the functionality is a reflection of the lore. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's more obvious than others. Um, and sometimes it's like you really have to dig into the lore in order to find it. But uh, if, if it's not obvious, if you, if like, I've had it, you know, th there's been some difficulties in playtesting where a card will change because they're looking at it merely as a game piece and the, the lore will be lost. And I'll be like, I know the lore of this cryptid. I know what the game, I know what the, the card does. I can't connect the lore to the functionality of the car, card in any way. That's bad, right? Um, like, we need to do better than that. And so, you know, that's a, a lot of the R&D and, and, and playtesting processes, making sure it functions as a game, but also making sure that um, we stay true to the lore in some sort of functional way. Well, that, that brings me to my next question is about the, like, the playability of the game. The fourth wall effects are hands down one of the best things I think has come from a TCG in a while. Like, I think that adds a lot. Like, Bigfoot gains invisibility if you're, like, what, within a mile of a forest or something like that. Right, uh, right, right. I know uh, one of the first big pulls I got, I opened a UFO booster box and uh, I got a mini T-Rex. And <laughs> one of his fourth wall effects is if you're wearing a cowboy hat, like you gain something yeah. like th those added effects make the game so much more than a game. I feel like, cause if I walked, if like, I don't play regularly or enough to even be competitive, but if I walked into a room and a bunch of people wearing cowboy hats, like, Oh, I know exactly what's going on. Like th that addition makes it so much better to me. I think it adds more of a personal like touch to it. Exactly. And, and, and it allows people to express their weird side. In a, like I know people that that run uh, decks that allow them to wear certain things to events because that's what they like to wear, right? Yeah. It allows them to connect to uh, the game in a way that you can't really get with with other TCGs, and so it, it's one of the the it's it is undoubtedly the biggest innovation of MetaZoo. It's also the biggest sticking point that people look at and they're like, this isn't, this makes it unplayable. And it's like, no, you just have to be creative enough. Plus, plus the ease of playing MetaZoo, like getting into it. Like, I feel like entry level, like you don't have to know a lot of like about TCGs to be able to play MetaZoo from the beginning. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's very simple to start, but the, like the ability to go from like just a basic, like if I bought like a spell book that was pre-made, I could easily play it, but the ability to, like, the ceiling of, I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to say. You probably know what I'm trying to say. Like, the in, yeah. intric intricacy of what you can do with a deck with MetaZoo is wild. You can teach a, so, again, going back to chess, you can teach a four-year-old how to play chess. And so the, the the entry level to chess is is really 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 low. Yeah. But the ceiling on on it on the complexity is like infinite, and and that's good game design, right? Like, and and I would say th there are a lot of TCGs out there where um, the entry is really low, but the ceiling is also kind of low. Yeah. And you have things like MTG where it's like um, I would say the entry level is a bit more advanced and the ceiling is a bit more advanced. Um, and then you have 
other games like Yu-Gi-Oh, where it's it's interesting. Like the the entry level is is weird because the meta, it's it's almost like with with Yu-Gi-Oh, you you have to have been playing for years in order to hop in, um, yeah. and that's because the meta of the cards is so the meta of, of like a new set release is so responsive to what's happened in years prior that if you haven't if you can't trail that history to why a card has a certain function that it has then like it, it's hard to integrate it and synergize it with the rest of your deck um and and that's why like a lot of games have like set rotations and things like that where uh cards from older sets um are no longer viable in competitive play or legal yeah. in competitive play um and that's also it's also easier for r&d because they can say like all right i have this universe of cards that pre-exist that i have to take into account when making new cards um and and that makes it easier to avoid uh combos of cards that can break the game right yeah and so we haven't we haven't gotten that quite yet with MetaZoo where um because every card that's ever been printed is legal um we haven't gotten to the point where it's too much of a task for the play testers or r d to consider um all the different combos of cards obviously that's like impossible uh but like no one's broken the game yet yeah and and my again one of the, my other mantras in r d and play testing is like try and break the game uh and, and when you're when you're when you're play testing it use all sorts of cards from other sets and when you're yeah. when we're creating new cards um synergize with other sets as well not just within the set that we're creating um and that creates value for older sets because people will be like oh wow this set that came out or this card that came out in native six sets later synergizes really well with this card that came out um in cryptid nation a few years ago um let me go open up a cryptid nation box and and see if i can pull this card right um but but you know as we move into yokai island and things like that um there there will be a moment where we miss something right yeah Um, it's just it's inevitable with with as many cards and as 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 many sets as we're releasing uh, eventually we will hit the spot where we miss something and then we'll have to uh, respond accordingly. But um, my goal is that the response is never, okay, just ban this card. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. My response is like, what can we release in an upcoming promo set or an upcoming set that um, balances this in a way that no longer makes it broken. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like that's, you know, and, and we saw like with Caster's Cup last year, we had um, these pseudo environments, which were, you know, these beautiful environments that kind of dictated what fourth wall elements you were playing in. And um, because of that, I, I assumed that people would, in this Blitz format, that they would be able to, that they'd be forced to create decks that um, took advantage of those fourth wall effects. but there were so many meta driving decks that were powerful enough that some people just ignored the pseudo environment entirely and still won. Yeah. Right. And so going into the towers, I'm like, okay, um, the towers are pseudo environments, but we're multiplying the fourth wall effects, um, by three. And so now, 
um, even if we didn't have the restriction on the number of, of aura specific cards that you could have in a deck, like a minimum of 60 water cards yeah. for the water tower, right? Um, it would still behoove you to um, play water cards as opposed to, uh, you know, running a, a Quetzal a Quetza card and and dominating with electri- a, a, a lightning deck, you know? Yeah. Um, but to go back to, like, the, the the playability of the game, the one thing I liked about Metazoo, too, is that the the texts for, like, your attacks and, like, your abilities and stuff like that was so easy to read compared to... So I was into Magic back when I was in high school, and then I got back into it probably around, I don't know, 2018-ish, and that's a big jump from, like, 2006, 2005 to go 13 years without playing a game and collecting it and going back into it. And so much had changed that like they were basically, it's the most convoluted wording of the most simplest things. And you guys spell it out on your cards. You know what I mean? Like it's, it makes it so much easier. And I, so when I, when I got back into it, I, I jumped into like magic, you know, Facebook groups and stuff like that. And the amount of gatekeeping and, like, assholery in those communities, I think it's because it's a TCG that's been around for so long. Like, my own, the only responses I would get asking for clarification would be, like, just, like, get good fucking nerd. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's, like, the one thing I love about MetaZoo is that I hopped into it, I, I say late, but, I mean, in reality, I'm only, you know, a year and a half late. The MetaZoo community has been so welcoming and so, like, ready and willing to help whether it be like hey i got this card i have an extra like what's the worth on it all the way to like i'm trying to build a deck and i had people messaging me like friend requests just to be like i'll help you out like it's been the most welcoming community that i've ever been in and as far as tcgs go Mm -hmm. and it's amazing that you were able to like create that that only this isn't really a question. I guess I'm just rambling at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just want to say thanks, man. Like, like you helped build a community around a product that I don't feel like I'm being ostracized from for not knowing anything about. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that it has a lot to do with I think the fact that the community was was and remains so involved with the growth process, right? Mm. Um, you know, we're not some big ass company that's like you know, when we, when we get feedback, like our, our play testers are our fans, yeah. right? Like, and, and a lot of our employees were initially fans as well that, you know, had a certain skill set that we brought on. And so like, it's always been a very collaborative community and we, we've all kind of gotten to this point together. Um, you know, that being said, but like, you know, the toxicity is like impossible to avoid and 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 it's an industry-wide problem not just in card games but like in collectibles in general yeah right like and you know and i talk about this stuff with like the heads of of collectibles uh based companies that are worth billions of dollars like and i'll be sitting down and like and and talk to them about like hey so like you you print you're the biggest you know printer of sports cards in the world like how do you deal with toxicity in your in your you know, your fandom and your client base. And, and it's just like, it's just the way that it is. Um, and I don't know, I, I would almost like, I, I hate to say that, it, like, 
it's inevitable, especially since there are like already like really, really toxic parts of the community. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I think the toxicity comes more from, it depends on whether you're a player of the game or just a collector. Sure. I mean, like the players of the games, at least like in magic and like Pokemon and stuff like that, the, the, the players, the people that really appreciate the property and what's going on, they're the ones that are the most helpful and they're the ones that will guide you to where you need to be. The collectors in both magic and Pokemon, they're just there for, they want to buy up all the stock, resell it at a fucking price that no one can afford just because they can, you know what I mean? The toxicity comes, I feel like from those people, but with MetaZoo, I feel like both collectors and players, they both so far have been pretty amazing to communicate with yeah and i think that it's 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 a that that those toxic elements are there but they're very like they're much smaller percentage oh they also happen to be there really are sorry to cut you off but like yeah so uh i think i think you guys reached out to me for this interview like a month ago maybe less than that and as soon as i got like the okay to interview you i went to like a couple Facebook groups and be like, hey, is there any questions they want to ask? Like, what should I ask him about? Blah, blah, blah. And as soon as someone posted anything negative, everyone jumped in and just like, like, fuck you, dude. Like, he's not going to ask that question. Like, you know I mean, like, why would he do that? You know what I mean? Like, there, there are some bad actors, but I feel like they're just more pissed off by like, I don't even know, dude. Like, it's just nonsense bullshit that like no one cares about. Like, and everyone called yeah. them out for it. like like the community's there behind you you know what i mean yeah and and and, and you know there's it's so interesting because people they experience something like metazoo in so many different ways right like yeah um you have players you have collectors you have people who are investors you have people who are um for those different categories they are um on either the, the crazy spectrum of like their diehard fan, diehard collectors, diehard players, diehard investors, or their super, super passive collectors, super, super passive players, or, you know, passive investors or some combination of them. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it, and it's interesting to see that kind of develop. Um, I'm excited for this year, a new type of fandom to come out, which is like based on the lore and the IP, right. So yeah. people who, you know, they're, they're not collectors necessarily or players or investors. They just love the MetaZoo story and they love the, the, the book. They love the, the animated show. They love the, the video game. Yeah. And that's, and, and it, each of these things are fine, right? Like they're, they exist because MetaZoo is complex enough for those different types of fandoms to exist. Right. Um, and there's a place for all of them, but then you have people who are just like, um, they've made it, they made it their job for years to just like, they, it's like, and, and I, man, I experienced this when I was like launching MetaZoo. I had people who hated the fact that I was trying to start a TCG. They hated it. They're like a new TCG hasn't been made in 20't years. that's like taken off like, but that's like, that's off. so gatekeepy though. Like I know, I know. Dude, I'm telling you, 
Like, I'm telling you, I, I had I had the the marketing head. Uh, I reached out in 2020 to the marketing head of of a major, major, major of the major uh, game board and and game reviewing forum. Uh, I think it's called Board Game Geek, right? Yeah. Um, and I was like, I want to pay you like I want the $2,500 package to advertise the Kickstarter, the very first Kickstarter uh, on your website, right? And he turned down my money and he says, um, the game is never going to work. Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to take your money um, out of respect to uh, the users on the forum. I, I don't want to, I basically didn't want to spam them. And I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was the weirdest thing, man. But, but it was indicative of, of, the, of the, the belief then that uh, a TCG couldn't take off. And, and now, of course, over the past two, two and a half years, um, the TCG category has outpaced um, the board game um, category for Kickstarter. And it took like, oh my gosh, it took two years for Kickstarter to finally reach out uh, like a representative and to be like, oh, cool. Like, thank you so much. And like, what what can we do to work together? Like we, we <laughs> even last year, a year ago, we ran um, a $2 million Kickstarter for um, our playing cards, right? And we weren't featured anywhere. No one wrote articles about it. I got a pack of those kicking up on my shelf right now. Yeah. And it's like, and it was like, we were the one, I think we were like in the top 10 Kickstarters running at that time, that month. And like, there's no feature. There was no, like, and then you look at all the other top 10 ones and like Kickstarter was doing like uh, media press, like posts about it. And they were doing interviews and stuff like that. And so even among the uh the crowdfunding community especially among the the, the crowdfunding community even at the top level yeah. even after metazoo's success there's still this like weird cultural belief that uh oh it's not going to work out like even though it's worked out like yeah even if, even if metazoo like tomorrow just disappears um there's no there's no doubt like there, there's no um, way to contend with the the fact that we've been a massive success. No, you guys definitely made a cultural impact in in the TCG community as well as like the crypto community. I feel like that's me yeah. though. I, I have no idea. I fucking who am I? I'm a podcaster <laughs> getting drunk on a Sunday. You know what I mean? Like, but no, I, I yeah, it's. But I mean, like that's that's the same with podcasts. If that makes any sense, like during the 2020 pandemic like when everyone was locked in their house the, the amount of podcasts that boomed because people were bored and they everyone thought they wanted to hear their shitty takes on whatever's happening in the world like it was wild so like i had a podcast at the time that i started about like pop punk and hardcore music and we lasted for about two and a half years and it didn't work but i don't know where i'm going with this but i just want to say i get kind of this like where you're going we're like no one's gonna take you seriously like why would you start a podcast at this point there's so many like this, right the same thing with tcg is like who's gonna take you guys seriously there's a billion of them you got pokemon you know Yu-Gi-Oh, magic flesh and blood like why even do it and and, and at the time flesh and blood was like it wasn't uh a kickstarter based one but it was like you know, it, it was just booming and stuff like that. And it was like, uh, and people, I even had like P 
people who were um, interested in MetaZoo and they're like, flesh and blood is like uh, uh, a lightning in a bottle event. Like it'll never happen again. And the MetaZoo outpaced it. And it was like, it's so weird. Like um, last year we did 50 million in revenue, which is like half of what the, the revenue, the annual revenue was for tops, like the largest other than Pokemon, like the larger, largest printer of cards, like in the world. Right. Yeah. And it's like, but like, I haven't been invited on CNBC to, to discuss this thing. Like it did make news when we sent the first trading card game into space. Like, no, it, it, so it's, we, we've been fighting this like cultural perception of, of new TCGs and we're still fighting it. Yeah. Um, I saw a, a Twitter post yesterday about MetaZoo where it was like, yeah, MetaZoo will never be like a, a, a TCG. It's just a pump and dump because it was started by some white dude in his garage. And it's like, man, like where have you been for the past two and a half years? Like, like we're a legit company, you know? First of all, ev- uh, every business ever has been started by a white dude in his garage. Is that <laughs> well, not? <laughs> got well, Amazon. Every startup, every startup has been some person in their garage. Like, yeah. Like it's making it work. Right. And it's like, um, and, and it's like, I don't know. It, it's, it's weird. We're, we're, we're fighting that to this day. And I feel like even when the show and the book and the video game and all these things come out, um, it may, maybe then once we hit critical mass, maybe then it won't matter as much, but because we're, we're still operating primarily among TCG fans, yeah. they, they have this idea in their head that it has to be started by a major company. See, it has and to be like a Wizards of the Coast game for anyone to take it seriously. Yeah, and it's like, but then if you look at Wizards of the Coast, I mean, if you look at Magic the Gathering, it was literally started by some dude in his garage. Yeah, but also right? Wizards of the Coast is fucking everything up for D&D, so <laughs> they can get fucked, I guess. Like, even Pokemon was like, yeah, we're bouncing. We're going to just do our own shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's Not to talk it's, shit it's, about Wizards of the Coast. I, I appreciate the things they've done, but also they're a bunch of asshole, but maybe it's Hasbro. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know nearly enough about that to, to, to comment on it. But um, I, I do know that, you know, well, the moves that we're making this year will hopefully establish us as a larger IP and kind of break away from that cultural perception. Yeah. Uh, but in order to do that, we have to become more than TCG. And that's, and that's where um, I think the larger cryptid community can kind of, if we can mobilize them and activate them as fans, then like, you know, but you know, it, it, we just have to be super clever and we've been clever so far. Um, we just have to continue to do that. Well, you, you guys have been, uh, you do a lot of collabs with a lot of people. Uh, you had the rugs, you had the yeah. <laughs> dim mock skateboards, yeah. revive skateboards, all that stuff. Actually, I have a few, uh, suggestions if you want to hear my sure. collab suggestions. Yeah. All right. So I think you should collab with a brewery and come up with Meta Brew. Ooh. Yeah. Zoo Brew. Brew Zoo. Zoo Brew. I think, Meta, the issue I, I, think Meta, I think Meta Brew is. I think. But see, the issue with Meta is like I came up with that name before the whole NFT <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone sees Meta Brew, they're going to associate it with like the NFT bro culture. Ah, uh, see. So, yeah. so I think. All right. Yeah. So for the, so I'm going to be honest with you. I so I I noticed MetaZoo back in like 2020, 2021 and I saw the word meta and my immediate thought was Mark Zuckerberg 
Yeah. And I had no idea what MetaZoo was even about. And I saw Meta and I was like, nah, dude, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. So we were battling that too. But I think with, with NFTs kind of falling um, or becoming less relevant or le- le- less associated with the word meta, right? Yeah. Um, I think what we're going to see is is that kind of cultural perception shift with, with, in terms of like when people see MetaZoo, they don't necessarily associate it with the metaverse. Yeah. Um, just because of, of cultural shifts, right? Um, and that's not to, to say that NFTs are necessarily bad, but you know, we did have we do have a lot of people who I think would would love MetaZoo, who saw Meta, saw that we did do some NFTs, yeah. and were like, oh yeah, it's just an NFT thing, right? But it's it's so much more than that, right? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, but, you I know, mean, NFTs are bad for the environment, kinda, right? Isn't that? A th- I think I read that somewhere. I have no idea. So there are a bunch of arguments going for or against that. Um, well, like they're, they're, but but I'm I'm not gonna like, I'm not educated enough to to, to talk on that. Neither all, all am I. Know, so we should probably just move. <laughs> but it's kind of like all right. So if we did do a beer, right? Then it's like, well, how many people die of alcoholism or well, alcohol things a year? And it's like, are you supporting that? And it's like, you can't win, right? Like, well, um, I mean, it, I'm from New Hampshire where we don't believe in. Uh, there's no seatbelt law or helmet law for motorcycles. So yeah. I, <laughs> I was whatever. All right. So meta brew, I think is one. I think that's a good one. The other one yeah. was, uh, uh, a line of, uh, aquariums like mm. for, for the home called what is zoo? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. <laughs> I like aquariums. All right. The other one was, uh, you remember, uh, the zebra striped gum? Yeah, yeah. All right. So MetaZoo themed gum called MetaChew. Mm. We were actually going to work with Tops on, on some of that because Tops actually owns like Wait, hold on. Question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait. Yeah. Are you going to do the old school like TMNT booster packs that had the stick of gum in them? So <laughs> don't tell me you're going to do it. <laughs> so interestingly enough, um, we are we are doing something with TMNT. Um, Wait, what? And we're going to be announcing that relatively soon. Well, I think you just—I um, think but, you just did. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's still—it's still in the works, though. But you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's based on a, a series of collaborations that that MetaZoo will be doing um, in conjunction with a new company uh, called Mothman Collectibles that I'm starting. It's a printing company. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's it's printing as far as what, like T-shirts. No, so it's um, you know, we have this amazing printer that we all but own, and um, we're we're approaching other IPs and other big artists and stuff like that. And we're saying, hey, like let's print cards with you, and if you want to associate it with MetaZoo, we can do that as well. Um, so they're going to be it should be interesting. Um, and and we're 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 we've already kind of nailed down some major collaborations for that. Um, and so it'll be an interesting way of, of feeding in new or pre-existing IP in a new way into the MetaZoo universe and kind of like um, activating that fan base in the same way that doing Revive activated the, um, the skateboard community into being fans of MetaZoo and vice versa, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, in terms of collaborations, there's a bunch of stuff that we can do. But what, what are your other suggestions? My other, my other collaboration was... Uh hook up with a cheese company mm. and do feta zoo. Ooh. 
That'd be interesting. Um, a cheese company. Yeah, like we, we haven't even tapped into <laughs> don't, the. Don't, don't into, do that. Don't <laughs> please do not write that down. No, no, no. But we haven't even tapped into like on the beer note, on the cheese note, like the whole collaborating with like restaurants and things like that. Right. Like, I think I think Meta, like, I think Meta Brew would be actually really good. Like if you gave me like a fucking like a Wendigo Pale Ale or like a like a Flatwoods Monster pilsner or something you know i mean like obviously don't name it that because that's those are dumb names yeah, but yeah you know what i mean like yeah no it, it's definitely been on our radar and and we've we've talked to a few companies about it um but i think if we were to do it doing it with like a local brewery that's and there are already cryptid related breweries um or yeah. brew like beer brands that we could collaborate with well where i'm from in new hampshire uh 603 brewery uh they already have a uh woods devil like stuff like that yeah and there, uh, there's like a bat squash one that i've seen yeah um, rogue does bat squash and then they do there's another one i can't quite remember what it is i don't remember but i definitely since this is a cryptid podcast that focuses around me drinking beers with my guests i'm all in yeah. so <laughs> yeah maybe you sponsor um that's cool. Yeah, no, it, it's something that's like on my my wish list. You know, like it's it's yeah. on my my, which is like my wish list is like a thousand entries, right? Of like things that you know I want to do with MetaZoo in terms of collaborations. Um, but yeah, no, no, these are all good ideas. Let's see. I don't know if they're all good ideas. Yeah, <laughs> the 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 FetaZoo. Feta you know, we might have to table that one, but uh, yeah. we'll. I also don't think Weta Zoo with the uh, aquariums is a good one, but you know, who, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. We're, well, we're coming up almost an hour and a half, so I guess, I guess we should probably talk about like uh, you got you got a new you got a new set coming out. Yeah, a new set native. native. So, I guess this is probably a heavy question right off the bat, but. So with Native, I assume it's going to be mostly like First Nations, Native American, like it's going to be that kind of lore going into this set, right? Right. So I guess my question to you is, how did you navigate doing Native while also being respectful to the culture that it, it exists? Like as far as like cryptids go, like they're pretty localized, like Mothman is... West Virginia, same thing with Flatwoods Monster, Sasquatch, Bigfoot is more like Northwest American, but with like Native American culture and lore, it's not so much a story that someone told one time when they saw the Metal Man of mm -hmm. Bulkville. How did how did you navigate doing Native while like being respectful to the culture that it represents? Because even with like the Wendigo, like you've 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 featured Native American lore in your yeah. stories before with like the Wendigo, uh, even if it's not like the most accurate description of the Wendigo. How how did you navigate this set to make sure that you weren't basically alienating a whole fan base? If that if that makes yeah. sense. And, and you know, to your point, we've we've had like even some like Walking Salmon base set is from the Lakota tribe. And so we've had like cryptids um, and other creatures um, or entities associated with indigenous populations 
throughout all of our sets, right? You can't yeah. really skate. Um, but like for this set specifically, you know, we, we had um, indigenous artists involved um, and that's going to be a big part of kind of the, the gala. We're going to be auctioning off some of those pieces for the foundation um, in support of, you know, indigenous charities and things like that. And then we also, um, we spoke with different tribal leaders and, and experts. Um, our artist Afton actually went and worked with some um, indigenous artists to make sure that she could use um, different types of inks and pigments that were derived from um, uh, plants and different herbs that were like relevant to their culture. That's awesome. And so, yeah. And, and so like, look, there, there's always going to be like, even with like cryptids, we've gotten backlash because if you look at like Mothman, it's associated with a story um, where a bunch of people died. And a lot of those people um, have living relatives. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, and here we are putting him in a card game and, you know, making a bunch of stickers of him and, and, you know, it, 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 it it's very sensitive no matter what you do, because these, these stories and these creatures exist in, in the real world. And um, if we only selected cryptids or creatures or entities that didn't have some sort of dark background to them, yeah, we would add like several dozen for the entire block of sets. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and so, and so there has to be some, not hand waving, but um, some, there's, there has to be some sort of like allowance creatively where we say oh, yeah. we're dealing, we're dealing with heavy things. Let's be respectful. Um, and let's, let's tell the story as accurately as we can going back to what you were saying before while still making it part of this larger universe. Yeah. Um, and, and the only exception to, to those things really are, are, um, you know, the fearsome critters, like even like the fearsome critters, which you might think are like the most innocuous stories that you can possibly tell are like, um, they're really associated with the, the deaths and disappearances of like lumberjacks during the lumberjack era of the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and they were told as like campfire, you know, tales of warning, like basically don't go out at night if you're too drunk in the forest alone. Right. Um, like the hide behind was literally something that would hide behind trees and then attack, yeah. um, ill like lumberjacks. And, and and now there's so much distance between that thing that those stories and those people that died that now we can kind of look at the hide behind and be like, haha, isn't it cute? It's like a little stick to your thing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, but it's, it's, I view it. And that's like kind of the negative way of viewing it. I, the positive way of viewing it is like what we already discussed, which is a lot of these indigenous stories are, dying on the vine um and and you only have to look at their languages and how every year um you have languages that die out because they no longer have people practicing them um that are related somehow to the deep cultural history of of the americas um and and the old cultures that used to exist here um and so you know and i've seen this debate happen on the discord where two people from um uh, Puerto Rico, we're discussing um, a native character that we spoiled. And uh, one person was like, you know, this is a deity, my religion. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure like if this is respectful. And you had another person 
who's also part of that religion saying like, there are like dozens of us um, who, who worship this, this deity or, you know, find importance of it in it. And like, no one's telling the story except for MetaZoo. And this is a way of, of bringing cultural awareness to something that is otherwise disappearing. Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, it goes again, it goes back to um, us doing this with cryptids, right. And, and how a lot of these cryptids were disappearing as well. And we were, we're giving them a second chance. And that sounds like a very noble way of representing something that, but like, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, like, again, if we didn't do that, if we didn't do any of this, then like MetaZoo wouldn't exist. So it's like, I think that you have to take the, the, the riskier elements of it or like the more sensitive elements with it and say, we're doing enough good uh, to warrant that. And I think, I think that we are, especially with how, how we're giving back to these cultures as well. No. Oh, yeah. No. So I, uh, you brought up that uh, you're going to be doing uh, the MetaZoo Gala. Yeah. Uh, for for native, and you're gonna be auctioning off the like. So I want to talk about the 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 MetaZoo Foundation. Uh, you guys mm-hmm. are doing a lot of work with for uh, autism, disabled vets, that kind of stuff. Is it like, is it one of those things where like can can we find a place to donate money to the MetaZoo Foundation or? Not yet. It'll be like event specific things. Um. Okay. And that's just because we want to tailor that experience and, and make sure that people know that like, Hey, within this one hour period where we sold $50,000 worth of cards for autism, like that $50,000 is like what the foundation made in the fall. And that's like what we donated to. Yeah. Um, like it's easier to keep things above board if you, at least from a public perception standpoint, if you tie money raising to very specific big events, then just having something that people can donate to passively on like a website. Gotcha. Um, that, that makes sense. That, don't you, you, you don't want to make it look like a money laundering scheme or anything like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, no. And, 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 you know, that might change in the future where, you know, the foundation becomes really big and, but I'm also like, what we also want to do is add a bunch of different cryptid related, uh, museums and, 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 uh, other, you know, other representations and efforts of these local communities to preserve cryptid history. Like we want to, we want the foundation money to go to that as well. Gotcha. Um, and so like, you know, the big, the Bigfoot museum, um, the museum of paranormal and cryptozoology, um, In there's, yeah yeah in portland and then there's also flatwoods monster museum there's like all these different museums that struggle to get by and like the metazoo foundation can be a way of of giving them the support that they need from the the largest cryptid community in the world right cryptid fan community in the world which is metazoo oh that's awesome Um, man yeah that's great um well i'm kind of out of questions now i guess we're coming up on an hour and a half yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much more time you got. I probably have to hop off in like five minutes. Five minutes? All right. Well, how about this? Do you have any questions for me? Yeah, I think uh I think not questions, but you know, I think that you wanting to tailor tailor your podcast to MetaZoo fans makes sense, but I think you should if if possible, you know, maybe you 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 should be the podcast that's a bridge between the larger cryptic community and the metazoo community. That's what I'm trying uh, to do. I'm trying to yeah. be that. 
Yeah, I think that'd be cool. I'm, try- um, I'm trying to. I feel like we all fall in love with these cryptids or beasties, as they're called in the Metazoo community. But I feel like a lot of people in the Metazoo community don't know the stories behind what they're playing as. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's why when uh you guys did the the water towers the loveland frogman i scrambled to get a loveland frogman episode out you know what i mean i f- i feel like if you're in love with these creatures as much as i am you should know the lore behind them exactly and i think that's what I, that's what i'm trying to do well i think i think uh podcasts like this are going to be an important part of of metazoo and cryptid history as we kind of collectively move forward yeah so yeah man you're doing a great job no, I appreciate that, man. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's the end of the episode. Do you have anything you I mean, obviously you're gonna you wanna plug you got your new release coming out, native. Is yeah. is there anything you wanna tell the community as a whole? What's going on? Metazoo's future. I know you got Yokai Island coming out after war, I believe. Yeah, well, so we talked about all of that. So I think I'll leave with like more general message, which is like be kind, um, you know, support all you know all metazoo fans bring in new metazoo fans like be a welcoming community and uh just you know continue being awesome and uh let's let's go into 2023 and and grow metazoo into into something more than it's been and and have this year be the start of something great oh i love that man that's a good message all right well thank you so much for listening everyone uh thank you again to mike for hopping on with me uh let's see uh Please leave a rating and review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you can. Also, if you are a MetaZoo collector and you need your cards graded, we did partner with AGS, which also it seems like everyone else has because you can just do that. Uh, but if you want your cards graded, you can get 35% off. Uh, I'll leave a link below. Not below. This isn't YouTube. I'll leave a link in the episode description uh, for where do they get 35% off. I do get a commission from that because why else would I be promoting it? And then, uh, (laughs) let's see. I think that's pretty much it. Follow us on Instagram at cryptic cocktail, Twitter, cryptic cocktail. And with that, thank you so much.